There he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to episode 77 of the Digital Freemason Podcast for the week of February 18th, 2008. I'm your host, Scott, and I'll be taking along my excellent adventures to the world of short Masonic educational papers. As always, these and all other papers are available at uh, my website, www.thedigitalfreemason.com. And I encourage you to come by and leave some comments or... If you have any suggestions, by all means, email me at podcast at thedigitalfreemason.com. This week's episode sort of focuses on King George III, and sort of does a little bit of a defense of his honor. So back in the 90s, there was the, uh, the film, The Madness of King George, and he seems to always be getting poked around about his insanity, and uh, so this one sort of comes to his defense. Interestingly enough, uh, doing a little bit of research on George III, it's uh, a popular side of thing. It was uh, in the 1970s uh, Schoolhouse Rock, if you ever happen to remember that little educational cartoon show that was on on the weekends. Uh, in between cartoons, the, uh, the one No More Kings <laughs> paints George III as a, as a tyrant I mean, who was reluctant to let the colonies up under his boot. And uh, also, he gets uh, pretty much uh, slapped around. Uh, by a, uh, the BBC comedy Black Adder and uh, Douglas Adams' book, Life in the Universe and Everything. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's poor, poor George gets uh, gets uh, beaten up quite a bit. So anyway, I will get on to it and uh, start uh, this piece. This piece was done by Ray Worshipful, brother Kane, and um, it was done, I think, in, I think in 1999 or something like that. Um, but anyway, it's out, it's out in New Zealand, and it's available up on the website. So, here we go, with uh, the king and the craft. Recently, there has been, on our television, references by the Prince of Wales and Alistair Cook to King George III, and very interesting discussion of his ways of life, by which I am led to extract from family docu- my family documents an official commission of ensign issued to my great-granduncle John Tain in 1798, at the head of which was the impressive signature. The commission was for service in the Home Guard for the defense of London at a time in the Napoleonic Wars when England was threatened with invasion. I was led also to a further study of a little I had read about that monarch's connection with Freemasonry and I think it may be of interest to the brethren of this lodge to set out something of what I have learned, preceded by some particulars, known facts, instead of the assumptions about his life and character which have been most unjustifiably discredited. His father, Frederick, the Prince of Wales, having unexpectedly died in 1760, George succeeded him George succeeded his grandfather, King George II, on the throne of Great Britain and Ireland at the age of 22, and lived until 1820, a reign exceeded in length only by that of the 64 years of his granddaughter, Victoria. Unlike the two Georges who preceded him, who hated England and its language, he could say in his first speech to Parliament that he glorified in the name of Britain, and Father George, as as he became called, was very popular with his people and much esteemed by those who knew him best. 
among those was a famous writer, Fanny Burney, and for some of the year a keeper of the robes to the queen. She kept a secret diary from which it was eventually learned that in her experience the king was, quote, a kind, considerate, studious, cultivated man, unquote, in connection with which it may be recalled that his extensive private library became the nucleus of that of the British Museum, and the Encyclopedia Britannica has this to say, quote, He set a standard of faithful troth in private life which was new in the court circles in England, which has survived even the Regency to become almost a commonplace as modern English life, unquote. As to his mental illness, the royal malady, which is said to have been her part hereditary, the first breakdown was in 1788, when his favorite daughter died. This was after many years of reign with extraordinary difficulties, national, political, and family, but it quickly recovered. He was once again overcome, however, in 1810, and hopelessly it was necessary to appoint a regent, his eldest son. He was one of those whose way of life had almost certainly contributed to his father's breakdown. Such people as a modern writer would have referred to as very free and easy and not that respectable, and that is putting it very mildly indeed. Possibly because he came to the throne at such an early age of 22, after years of domination by, by a very strict mother, he was not a Freemason, but it is remarkable that his father had been, and his two uncles, and also three of his brothers were. I venture to propose him, however, as a promoter of the art, because, as a monarch, he was unique in all history of the craft. Of the seven of his sons who reached manhood, six became Freemasons, several received high and the highest honors in the two grand lodges of the moderns and the ancients, and eventually did good service. In order of the age, the six were the Prince of Wales and the Duke of York, Clarence, Kent, Cumberland, and Sussex, something of whose careers and characters we shall in no way abbreviate their titles. Wales later became King George IV. He was initiated in 1787 by a lodge specially convened at the Star and Garter, a popular tavern in Pall Mall. Next evening, the Grand Lodge of the Moderns resolved unanimously that because of the great honor conferred not he, society, but the, by the prince, in all of its assemblies, that he should sit next to and not the right hand of the Grand Master. In Volume 3 of Gould's History of Freemasonry, we read that it was in the belief of the Grand Lodge that it was of the first importance to obtain his sanction and protection of the royal family to the proceedings of the craft. His Majesty's career he was, was that he was the Grand Master of the Moderns from 1790 until 1813, and in 1805 he was elected to the same office by the Grand Lodge of Scotland. In 1787, he was instrumental in the founding of the Prince of Wales Lodge in London, which is now number 159, and his interest in the craft is perhaps shown by the fact that its members then were principally his personal friends. As king, he was officially appointed patron of the craft. Because of his father's illness in 1811, he was appointed regent, and after nine years or so succeeded him as King George IV. He was very unpopular with his people and by no means efficient or satisfactory as a ruler, noted in particular for his outstanding extravagances in money matters. The York, Duke of York, Prince Frederick, who, 
like his younger brothers, was awarded a dukedom in early manhood, was initiated in Britannic Lodge Number 33 in 1787. Like his elder, elder and younger brothers, he was immediately honored with a high rank in Grand Lodge. But I have been un unable to find any activities on his part in Freemasonry in general, except an occasional attendance with his brothers at special meetings. But no doubt there was a good reason for it, as his career will show. York is said to have been his father's favorite son, and perhaps before he became so at the age of six months, the king influenced his election to a richly endowed bishopric in Germany, which he held for 40 years. His life and his attainments show that he was probably the most capable and personally distinguished of all the current royal dukes. He served with varying success on the continents in the Napoleonic Wars, but on his return to London devoted himself to the greatest vigor and success to the army reform. It is he who is commemorated by the fine Duke of York's column in Waterloo Place in London. Clarence, afterwards King William IV, like his brothers, was initiated early in his twenties by the Prince George Lodge at Plymouth. In 1787, and from 1828 until 1830, where he became king, he was master of the Prince of Wales Lodge already mentioned. He was a naval officer and once served under Lord Nelson, but never with any special distinction. But after much effort, he succeeded in obtaining the rank of Lord High Admiral. From Fanny Burney again, she says, He was gay and full of sport and mischief, yet clever withal. He did not marry until he was fifty-two years old and the heir to the throne. But perhaps it was somewhat due to his credit that he had an allegiance with the famous actress and remained faithful to her for twenty years, during which time, as he wrote to his mother the Queen, she presented him with ten, ten children, all of them which were named Fitzclarence. Kent was initiated in 1790 by the Union Lodge in Geneva and became probably the most active in Freemasonry of all of his brothers, with a possible exception of Sussex. He was an army commander, severe with his troops and far from popular, generally, but as one writer would say, certainly showed his side in his Masonic contact. Already ranked as a past Grand Master of the Moderns, <clears throat> while serving as a Brigadier in Gibraltar, he was appointed Provincial Grand Master. It is recorded that in or near his period there were seven regiments stationed on the rock. As Major General in Lower Canada in 1792, he reached the same office there, but under the Grand Lodge of the Ancients. Finally, as we shall see, he became Grand Master of the Ancients. As the Blood Royal, however, he was, had a special claim to distinction. In 1818, he married a princess and, unlike any of his elder brothers, fathered an heir to the throne, Victoria, who succeeded William IV in 1837, long after Kent's death. Cumberland was initiated in 1791 at the home of the Earl of Moray, and, and who was an active advocate of the union between the ancient and the moderns, and greatly esteemed servant of the nation. At the farewell dinner to the Earl, when he left for the high command in India, Cumberland was one of the six royal dukes present, including Gloucester, King George's nephew and son-in-law, but in general little or nothing of, is known of Cumberland's interest in the craft. He was an arrogant and dissolute man, greatly disliked, and in 1837 he became King of Hanover, where his autocratic behavior caused serious trouble 
both to his subjects and to himself, and a bitter struggle was ended only by his death in 1851. Sussex was initiated in Berlin in 1798 by the Royal York Lodge, which was named after his uncle, a Duke of York, who had been initiated therein in 1765. Eventually he also became a member of the Prince of Wales Lodge and a master of the Lodge of Antiquity from 1809 until his death in 1843. It is interesting to note that by a close vote in 1830 he was elected president of the Royal Society and presided over its regular meetings for years. This was of the Society of Scientists and Philosophers, which had previously commissioned Captain Cook's exploration of the Antarctic and South Seas, and the consequential discovery of New Zealand. As to his personality, at his death, the Times, in a leading article, said that it considered him, of all the sons of George III, the most popular after the Duke of York, and the most accomplished after King George V. Others, however, were not so complimentary. As a Grand Master from 1813, he was often arbitrary and irritable, possibly because of his health. But for many years he suffered greatly from asthma. Soon after the beginning of the King's reign, the Freemasonry in England had been divided under two Grand Lodges known as the Moderns and the Ancients. The former was established in 1717 and the latter in 1751. Because of the concern by many brethren that there had been departures from recognized usage and customs of the craft. There was growing rivalry and sometimes acrimony between the two bodies, and as time went on it became more clear to the thinking brethren that under such ancient landmarks as meeting on the level and parting on the square, they should be united in the true spirit of the craft. After many years of protracted negotiations, matters came to head in 1813 principally because of the untiring efforts of the Earl of Moray, already referred to, who was a devoted Freemason and acting Grand Master of the Moderns, and possibly through the interest of his Grand Master, the Prince of Wales, who had held office since 1790, but was now retiring in favor of Sussex. The Grand Master of the Ancients in 1774, the Duke of Athol, now resigned his office in favor of the Duke of Kent, who is said to have been strongly in favor of the Union. His curious association with both of the rival Grand Lodges has already been remarked on here. Sussex, who, had elected Grand, who was elected the Grand Master of the Moderns in April 7, 1833, was empowered two months later to make arrangements for the union of the two Grand Lodges on the 25th of November, and the necessary articles were duly signed and sealed. An interesting point is that during the proceedings, Sussex was made an ancient mason. On St. John's Day, on December 27, 1813, the brethren of the two fraternities assembled in Freemasons Hall in London, on the level at last, and the United Grand Lodge of England was officially constituted. Kent then proposed, and it was carried unanimously, that Sussex should be its Grand Master, and he accepted, and remained in that office until his death in 1843. In the search for information about King George and his son, one question has continually presented itself. Did he influence them to become Freemasons? I have found not one shred of suggestion that he did, but feel he may have been, may have, for the following reasons. His children were brought up with a simple, almost non-royal family background, but when their sons became men about towns, subject of the inevitable flattery and temptation, their behaviors and mistakes grieved him sorely. One by one they seemed to have turned against him, in such a situation, who could have so greatly helped him but 
as those of his close relatives, his uncles, and his brothers, all of whom were Freemasons, members of a well-known system of morality, to whom he surely must have turned for advice and assistance in the many difficult difficulties during his reign. Okay, so maybe that didn't have quite so much to do with King George as uh, I initially, th initially thought, but uh, still. Interesting piece to see how uh, one's family gets turned into uh, many Masons and follow the path that they follow. I know that uh, talking with a lot of the men that I associate with in Freemasonry, there's uh, many of them have a long lineage into Freemasonry. Some others don't, but still, it's it's always nice to see what's happening with, uh, or was happening with, Freemasonry and the royalty. There seems to be an association between the two of them. Don't know what things are like nowadays, but yeah, if you have any ideas or any thoughts on that, by all means, email me. Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear what the uh, modern royalty is doing as it relates to Freemasonry. Uh, again, podcast at thedigitalfreemason.com. So that's it for this week, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to get something out again next week and work out a couple of little technical glitches. I know the last couple of episodes there's been little pops and ticks and skips and that sort of stuff. So uh, I guess it doesn't work too well in my recording studios of the world headquarters of the Digital Freemason, which happens to have a deep freeze right beside it. So <laughs> we'll work on that and uh, hopefully get uh, get things all worked out. So until next week, be sure to keep the shiny side up.